So before I get into my uh, my sermon here, I wanted to repent before the congregation. Um, one of the sins that I really struggle with is pride. Um, and in preparing this sermon uh, there for a while, I kind of did it uh, for my glory. Um, I did it thinking, uh, is this going to go well? Am I going to say the right things? Is it going to be applicable? Um, and, and it's interesting because this, uh, this passage that I'm going to be talking about, it deals with the problem of pride. Um, and so for those who've given sermons before, I bet it's, uh, you know the feeling as well, giving a sermon on something that you struggle with. Um, and, and nonetheless, I, I thank God for, for using this passage to convict me in that way. Um, and I'm thankful to you as a congregation and to the elders here for allowing me to come up here and give this sermon. Um, so I'd like it if you'd all join me uh, in turning in your Bibles, if you have one, uh, to the Gospel of Luke. Um, where for a while now we've been uh, expounding upon the message given to us by Dr. Luke, um, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he says at the beginning of this letter to Theophilus, which of course is what the gospel according to Luke is, um, that he wrote this narrative of the life of Christ, of the things that happened in the last days, following it closely and making it orderly so that Theophilus, as well as us, uh, might be certain and have certainty concerning the things that have happened. Um, and as with the uh, many parables that we've studied in previous sermons, uh, we now come to this parable, uh, which concerns a Pharisee and a tax collector. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And uh, just as Theophilus could, uh, we now will look at this text, and by the grace of God, study it with certainty. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as a congregation. Um, thank you for the wonderful weather and the season that we are in. Um, God, we thank you for this time to come together and worship you through song, uh, through sermons, Lord, through praise. Um, and we pray that this time and this sermon, Lord, and the exposition of this passage is glorifying to you, um, that it convicts us where conviction is needed. Um, that it encourages us and builds us up where that is needed. Um, and Lord, that in all things, uh, you would be uh, made more of um, and we would be made less of. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so now the, the context in this passage is, is fairly obvious. Um, Jesus is addressing a situation, and uh, Dr. Luke, as I like to call him, uh, here makes it very plain for us, um, namely... Uh, that there were people who were listening to Jesus uh, that were confident 
of their own righteousness. They were sure of themselves uh, that they, as they were, could attain salvation in the eyes of God. Not only were they confident of their own self-righteousness and felt secure when it came to all things religious, but along with that, they were prepared and particularly happy, it seems, uh, to look down on everyone else who wasn't doing what they were doing. Now, there's a sense uh, in which these self-assured individuals, these Pharisees, um, those who know uh, who they are and what they are, where they're going and what they're doing, are confident, um, and they're therefore attractive in every generation. Um, we know people in our generation, people are drawn to them because they're sure of themselves, and that's, it's, it's something that's not only specific to the first church and generation here. People are often drawn to folks um, uh, who know themselves, um, and, and they're not particularly drawn to people who are not sure of themselves, people who are shy, people who lack confidence. But the point of this story, um, the main message of our sermon today really is this, that individuals who view themselves in this way, who are self-assured, who are prideful, they're in danger. And the parable here warns about a problem in Jesus' day, which turns out to be, again, a problem in every day. And the problem is this, religious hypocrisy. Individuals uh, who have determined that what they believe and what they do and how they're doing it is the very ground of their security before God. Uh, so in, in a more contemporary setting, they would be the kind of people who would not only be at the morning service, but the evening service, not only the evening service, but the midweek service, not only the midweek service, but every growth group, every chance that they could to go to something to assert themselves as good people, as righteous people, and so on. In other words, as, as far as all the externals are concerned, they've got it. They have it nailed down. And it is for these individuals um, that Jesus reserves some of his most stinging remarks. Uh, now, what I'd like to do uh, with you is, is note some simple facts. Um, first, this is a story about two men. Uh, it doesn't take a college education to know that. It says it in verse 10. Um, there's no mystery to this. It's a story about two men. And these two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector, they went up to the same place to do the same thing. And, and really, that is where the similarity ends. Uh, from this point on, it's a matter of dissimilarity. And, and we're introduced to each of them in turn. Uh, so the first was a Pharisee, and again, the other was a tax collector. Uh, but before we get into this, I want to take a moment just to identify what a Pharisee is. Um, a Pharisee uh, was a separatist. They were a part of a small group of, of people who were keen on keeping themselves separate from everybody else. Uh, they viewed themselves as higher than everybody else because of their religiosity. And not only that, they were big on ceremonial purity. Consequently, they were very concerned about ceremonial impurity. If they'd been here in our day and, and we had stopped for a moment or two at Bandana's Barbecue, one of my favorite restaurants, they would have refused the utensils provided to everybody else. They would have to go through ceremonial washings and cleansings in order that it would be fit for their use. 
so just imagine that we all as a congregation go there after church, uh, and one of us says, no, I have to clean this myself. It would be that kind of person. Otherwise, they would have been contaminated by what the pagans and others not like themselves were using. Uh, they didn't want anything to do with the heathen. And they certainly didn't want to defile themselves by coming in contact with sinners. Not only that, they had no time at all for tax collectors. Furthermore, uh, these Pharisees did not even identify with the rank and file of their own people, Jews. It wasn't simply that they only hung around with those from a Judaistic background. And, and as long as they had attended the same kind of schools, uh, events, etc., um, that they were happy to be their neighbors. Uh, they were so consumed with the externals and had become so good at establishing this hollow existence of religiosity um, th that was so self-serving. Uh, and they had no interest in spending time with others. And indeed the man whom we are introduced to uh, in this passage, the Pharisee, certainly fits the description. Um, and in chapter 20 of this same book, the Gospel according to Luke, um, Jesus tells his disciples to be aware of these folks. Uh, beware of the teachers, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, he says. Why? Well, they love to wear the most lavish robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and to have the most important seat at tables, and to have the place of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses for a show, and they, and they make lengthy prayers. Such men, Jesus says, will be punished most severely. Now that's the first individual. The second individual, we're told, is, collect, is a tax collector, or uh, as those who read the King James Version will know, a publican. Uh, this man and those who were like him were absolutely despised. Uh, they were regarded as extortionists, and if Jews, they were regarded as traitors to Israel for sleeping with uh, their Roman oppressors. In terms of societal status, they were right down there at the very bottom, along with harlots and other disreputable, disreputable folks. Um, in fact, history records that if you had a tax collector in your family, in your household, it was a public disgrace. Tax collectors spent their lives being hated. According to the Jewish law, you didn't have to keep a promise made to a murderer, a thief, or a tax collector. People hated their guts. So you would either get a different profession or learn to live with the hatred that was given to you. Um, and in learning to live with it, you would become hardened and uncompassionate in your demeanor, and you would have a really scant opinion of those who you interacted with. Now what you have in these two men, again this is a story of men, you have the fact that these men constitute the extremes of Judaism. One man was the pinnacle of external religion, and the other man, as far as societal expectations goes, was the epitome of wickedness. And so that's why Jesus is telling the story. Um, these parables, people were always waiting for the religious man, the Pharisee, to come out on top. That was just a societal attitude and expectation towards men like these. Um, they were external through and through, uh, but it, their true internal condition was evidenced by how they approached God. 
In the same way, our true condition is evidenced by how we approach God. Uh, I want you to notice with me here how it's not simply a story of two men. It's a story of two prayers. The Pharisee stood up, it says, and he prayed. He probably stood up right by the divider between the court of men and the priest court, as, as close as he could to the epicenter of the religious establishment. And after all, it was only right for this religious character to be in such a position. Um, we're told that he stood up and he prayed about himself. This Pharisee stood up, he glanced up at God, and he contemplated himself. He was thankful that he wasn't like other men. Why wasn't he like other men? Well, because he avoided sin. He avoided adultery, robbery, murder, and certainly the extortion that was generally attributed to tax collectors. One of which he noticed out of the corner of his eye. Um, he wasn't like other men because he practiced piety. Uh, it says again, I fast twice a week and give a tithe of all that I get. It wasn't only that he met the requirements, but he was over the top on both the fasting and the tithing. Uh, he did what was required of the law to do, and he did a little extra. Um, notice something, though. This particular individual seems to be devoid of any need. He seems to be devoid of any sense of sin. He compares himself with, with others on the curb, and, and in his mind, he always comes out with an A or an A+. Plus. This man had a curse, and I fear it's the same curse that many in the church struggle with today. I thank you, God, that I am not like these scumbags that like abortion. I thank you, God, that I didn't vote for Joe Biden. I thank you, God, that I am not doing these things that these people are doing. I thank you that I am not like other men and women. I thank you that I am in the church in the morning and the evening and on every available occasion. Beware the reality of religious hypocrisy, of a form of legalistic righteousness which bears little testimony to the transforming grace of God and seems to have far more to say about my ability to meet all external regulations. This, this attitude of this individual was typical of the worst in Phariseeism. Uh, I, I actually found a quote from an actual Pharisee in one of their writings. I thank you, Lord my God, that you have put my place in this academy, and not with those who sit at street corners. For I rise early, and they rise early. I rise early to the word of the law, and they to vain things. I labor and they labor. I labor and receive a reward, and they labor and receive no reward. I run and they run. I run to the light of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction. That's not a Christian expression. And, and we'll see that in just a moment. Uh, the religious snob Right, has his feet swept from under him every single time uh, by Jesus. And I'm not saying this all to make you uncomfortable if you do go to the evening service, to the morning service, to the weekday service. Um, I'm only saying that one of the reasons why we make such a scant impact on people in dreadful predicaments, those people who are on the street corners in our generation, is because many in our church are suffering from this 
form of religious hypocrisy, Christian snobbery. Um, some have forgotten, right, that the only thing that distinguishes us from those people who live across the street there is the grace of God. That is the only thing. The process of sanctification and our regeneration and our salvation are from the grace of God only and the grace of God alone. Our purification in the heavenly places is a result of the grace of God. We are not capable of keeping the law perfectly. Neither was this Pharisee, and we have to remember that. So that's the Pharisee's prayer. Um, again, this is a story of two prayers. Let's look at the tax collector. The tax collector, uh, it says, he stood at a distance. He was about as far as away, I'd imagine, as he could possibly get without actually being outside of the courtyard. Um, and like the Pharisee, he was concerned about himself in his prayer. But instead of comparing himself to others, he sees himself before God. And consequently, he beat his breast in acknowledgement of his condition. He describes himself as the sinner. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, it says, but beats his breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Humble before God, he casts on himself, or he casts himself rather on God's mercy. Um, and, and when a man or a woman cries for mercy, uh, I would say it's an indication that they have recognized what they deserve. Uh, God, he says, be merciful to me because I am a sinner. I don't have a lot to say. I don't have a big and long prayer. I desire only your mercy. What I deserve is your wrath. What I deserve is your judgment. What I deserve, frankly, is just to be burned up and swallowed in an instant. Be merciful to me. That should be the plea of every Christian. Our only hope of righteousness and salvation is found at the feet of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the triune God who made purification for sins and is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, I read a commentary on this, and the commentator said, the tax collector was rotten, and he knew it. He begged for mercy because mercy was the only thing he could dare ask for. How could he ask for anything more before a holy God? It's a story of two men. It's a story of two prayers. And it's third and finally, a story of two results. Only one of the two men, as we see, went home justified before God. That comes straight from Jesus' mouth. To be justified, uh, for those who aren't privy with that, is to be declared righteous in God's sight. Um, and, and remember who the listening crowd around Jesus were. They were those who were confident in their own righteousness, and they looked down on everybody else. Jesus said to them, I want you to know that it was this man, the tax collector, who went home justified. Little did the Pharisee in the story know that the man he despised, the tax collector, was on his way to heaven. Jesus declared the principle very clearly in chapter 18, verse 14, that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector here is a prime example that a sinner who looks to God for mercy will find it. An individual who comes loaded up with their own religious wares, such as the Pharisee, will never be able to stoop low enough 
to make entry because it's on your knees. Um, so what are the implications of this story? Here's two men, two prayers, and two results. The one man thinks he's got it as a home run, and we find out that he's not even in the ballpark. And the other guy is hardly prepared to put his nose in the ballpark, but we find out that he just hit a grand slam. One of the implications from this deals with any sense of dependence upon, by anyone really, upon a sort of works-based way of approaching salvation and getting to heaven. Uh, Romans chapter 3 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law, by standing on the corner and wearing robes and praying the right prayers. No, Paul says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Uh, two of the most beautiful words, I think, in Scripture then follow. But now. But now, Paul says, the righteousness of God has been manifested from apart the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, one other thing. Uh, this parable is so powerful uh, because it says something about our condition before God. Um, the fact is uh, that we are like other men. It's not like we're not like other men. It's that we are like, like other men. Um, one famous Christian said, I have discovered that the seed of every sin known to man dwells within my heart. So what makes the difference? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ makes the difference. It makes much of him and little of us. Because of his obedience to his father, he marched from the temple in Jerusalem to the cross of Calvary. What was our contribution to that? Our only contribution to that was the sin that made it necessary for a march to the cross. On the cross, Jesus bore the punishment for the transgressions of all who believe in him. What is our contribution to that? Our only contribution is the fact that our sin necessitated him to go to the cross. The fact that we need somebody to make propitiation for our sins. On our behalf, Christ mediates to the majesty on high, and in him... We are pardoned from our transgressions for all eternity. What is our contribution to that? Our only contribution is the sin that makes a mediator and a pardon necessary. We are sinners through and through. But time and, and time again, God has revealed his grace and mercy to those who sin against him, much like the tax collector here in this story. To those who are humble and recognize their unworthiness, God gives the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.